All right, if you will, open your Bibles to the book of Luke. Obviously, it's Mother's Day. We're not going to get back into 2 Timothy until next week. So Luke chapter 1. And this morning, um, you pull out the sermon notes from the, from the bulletin as well. You'll see that we're going to look at the topic of studying one of the best-known mothers of all time, Mary. Mary, the mother of Jesus. And wanting to do a study on a mother today, obviously it's very much known that in our culture we recognize moms because of the special place that they have in our lives. And that has come from the very beginning. And if you're unfamiliar with it, I'm not going to have you turn there, but in Genesis chapter 3, we know that Adam gave Eve her name. And I think it's the only time ever in history that at least I can tell that a husband gave his wife a name other than schnookums or, <laughs> you know, something like that. Not that I, I know anybody uses something like that. But we learned that he, Adam gave Eve her name because it says Eve means to be the mother of all living, mother of living. And, and so we know that all life has come from her. And even, ironically, God put some DNA in her that it's called mitochondrial Eve, the expression that we can trace all living human beings back to this one woman that existed maybe six, seven thousand years ago. And um, we, we have that connection. And we have the connection with our mother, we have our connection with Eve. And that's why this is such an important day because of that life connection that all women have followed in Eve's place. And there seems to be that within us, wanting a sense of wanting to recognize that individual that's given us so much love and so much care. And uh, I, I also want to point out, you know, we have that, as connection, that connection as humans. And when we think about the fact that, you know, the women are the ones that give life, there's the still the sense, too, that as we're connected, when Adam gave his rib for Eve, it isn't just a function of like submission or the woman's below the man. Always remember that it's to show the connection that men and women have, that there's a unity, it, it, that bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh, as Adam said. So we, we share life together, male and female, but obviously with moms today, we um, have a special recognition of what moms are to us. And you just put a marker in Luke 1 and go back to second or 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, the second chapter of 1 Thessalonians, and there's just a special recognition that we have for what women do, and the Apostle Paul, I always like to come back to this passage because in ministry, as Paul was ministering to the church at Thessalonica, he's giving them an exhortation, and, and he says in the second chapter of 1 Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 5, we never came with flattering speech. And he's like defending himself. He's defending his ministry. He goes, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed, God is witness, nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, even though as an apostle of Christ, we might have asserted our authority. But we, verse 7 is the key verse, but we prove to be gentle among you as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children. Having so fond an affection for you, we were all pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but our own lives, because you had become very dear to us. That makes great point there for Paul, because he knows what a nursing, caring mother is all about. 
And everyone said, well, you know, even back then, you say, well, we know what a caring mom's all about. And so when Paul uses that to illustrate his type of ministry, it's something that resonates with people because that is at the heart of who a godly mother is, a, a woman, a mother is to be, okay? And he'll go on and he'll talk about a father being different. There's, fa there's father attributes, there's mother attributes. God made us male and female, and we are different. And, and it's nothing to like say one is better than the other. It's part of the genius of God of how he's put the male and female roles, and moms have a special role. So turn back to Luke 1 and understand that on this Mother's Day, um, I thought we should look at a very godly mother, and that is Mary. And obviously, for us in uh, a Bible-believing church, we know that there's a lot of stuff that is false teaching around Mary. We're not going to harp on that or talk too much about it. I'll mention some of it. But I want us to think about Mary as a model mother, um, a model woman, and there, there's a reason she was taken to be the mother of Jesus. She couldn't have the mother of Jesus couldn't have been somebody that was sexually immoral because we needed to uphold the idea of the virgin birth and that Jesus had God as his father. So if Mary was somebody that was immoral, it wouldn't have worked. If Mary wasn't somebody that was religious in her bent in the sense that as she was raising Jesus, you'll see that she wasn't taking him to the, the um, Jewish uh, Passover and the Jewish other holidays, it wouldn't have worked either. So you needed to have a woman that looked at religion as a priority, and Mary's going to be that woman. And so it wasn't by accident that God just said, or just by like, I have to find somebody. He could have said, I'm sure he could have picked anybody, but the reality of it is Mary was chosen because she was a godly woman. And I'm hoping that today as we look at her and we look at the attributes of Mary, you'll say, yeah, this, these are great attributes that you would want to have in a woman, a mother, and then obviously when a woman has those, she's imparting them to her children, and so men end up with them too. So let's, um, let's, let's look at the um, sermon. You see it's a notes that says, uh, look at Mary, a model uh, mother, and we're going to look at four key traits. We're going to look at four traits about her, and first you note that though I wanted to hit on her background, okay? Just some key background points on the sermon notes that I wanted to get you to, to know. One blogger, I thought this was interesting, one um, religious writer said this, we know more about Mary than we do about almost everyone else in the New Testament besides Jesus, Peter, John, Paul, and John. Isn't that interesting? I, I thought it was. And um, there are 20 explicit references to Mary where her name is used in the New Testament and then there are three other times when there are other inferences. And there might even be a fourth. I always sometimes think, and, and I, we'll never know until we get to heaven because everything that tries to find this out, it's second, um, the book of Second John. It might have been written to Mary, okay? It might have been written to Mary, all right? So 20 times that she's mentioned, 17 of those deal with the birth of Jesus. And when we'll, of the, of the 20 where she's explicitly referenced. And so what we're going to do is we're going to pull out a lot of information from, from those texts. We know that she was Jewish. So continuing with her background, we know she was Jewish. We know Mary is the Greek equivalent of the Hebrew name Miriam. So 
you know, obviously Mary is a very popular name today. Um, my grandmother was named Mary, and uh, it comes from the Hebrew word Miriam. Uh, she was in David's line. You study the, um, the uh, genealogy of Luke chapter 3. We believe that is her genealogy. Joseph's line is in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 1. So both Mary and Joseph were in the line of David. And there was a reason for that, because Jesus needed to be also not only be a rightful heir to be the king, but he also needed to be a physical heir to be the king, um, to be a human. And he comes from Mary's line, because he is in her line as well. She had a sister named Salome. Uh, we know that from comparing three passages. You just jot this down, Mark 15, 40, Matthew 27, 56, John 19, 25. And she was probably the mother of James and John. So from Mark 15, 40, Matthew 27, 56, and John 19, 25, we find out that, you know, that she was um, probably the aunt to James and John. That's probably why when Jesus is on the cross, he gives his, the care to John of his mother, all right? Nowhere in the New Testament is she called Mary, the mother of God. And it's a title that was given to her in the, about the fifth century. So it wasn't something that just even came overnight. Maybe as theology was born, being born, um, more and more written down, she finally got that title, and we know it leads to some aberrant theology. But here's what I want you to think about as we, we see that Mary um, raises Jesus, lives in Nazareth, and the significance of that is when we go through these other passages, I want you to remember this, is that Mary is born, or living in Nazareth, and Nazareth was a small little town that was between the north and the south and of Israel. And what's the significance of that? Was that it was like a travel spot. And so that when people were traveling from the north to the south, they would stop off and they found out that this was a town that was very seedy. Um, you didn't have a Motel 6, you didn't have the other things going on, and it would be like a little party town. And it, it, they think that it held between 10 and 20,000 people. And what you could do is you could drink it up, you could f see prostitutes. I don't know if they had dancing girls back then, but, but it got to be so bad. Remember that when the, the um, disciples are, and people are looking out at Jesus and they're saying, you know, is he really the Messiah? And they all think that he was born in Nazareth, not being born in Bethlehem. They think, well, could anything good come out of Nazareth? Why is that expression so significant? Not just because of the fact that the Messiah was supposed to be born in Bethlehem, but because Nazareth was such a seedy town. And what I, what I point this out to you is that here you've got this really seedy town that Mary was raised in, and yet she was a godly woman. So that kind of influences to me that her parents were godly, and no matter what was all around her, she made godly choices. So keep that in the back of your mind. All right? Um, just a couple things we want to make sure we all just clearly deny. There is no immaculate conception of Mary. That expression doesn't deal with the birth of Jesus. The theology, the wrong theology of that is that it's taught that Mary was born conceived without sin, and that's just nowhere in the Bible. So there's nothing I can even show you other than we're going to go later and show things that prove that it wasn't true. We'll make that clear. But 
know that her death did not pay for our sins, nor is she in any way a co-redeemer. It's nowhere taught that we should ever pray to her, nor should we ever light a candle to her. Those things are sin. Those things are just not good. And, and it's no way taught that she was assumed directly into heaven. And so many false religions, many false groups teach much air about her. But let's get into the good things, the things where she's a godly woman and you can see the character she had. Fill in the blank with the, right from the beginning. She believed God's word. Fill in the blank with God's word. And what we're going to do is we're going to look at how she reacted to the prophecy about her pregnancy. Pick up in verse 26. It says, Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth. The sixth month is when John the Baptist is... Um, is in his mother Elizabeth, okay? She's pregnant, she's pregnant, and she's six months along. And so now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth, verse 27, to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph, of the descendants of David, there you go, and the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, greetings, favor one, the Lord is with you. But she was very perplexed at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. And Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I am a virgin? I, I, I mean, right there, that expression is like, that's mind-boggling when you get that expression. I mean, wow, that, that is amazing, all the things that this boy is going to be. Now, when she says, how can this be, she's not doubting it. The angel knows that she's just inquiring, how's this going to go? I'm a virgin. I have not had sexual relations with a man. How is this going to be? This is far different than when you looked earlier in the chapter, like in verse 18, when Zacharias said to the angel, how will I know for this is certain? Because they kind of sort of like got a message as well from the angel, but he didn't really believe it. Mary believed it. Zacharias got shut up until the baby was born. Mary believed it, and that's why I want you to fill in the blank. She believed God's word. Now, obviously, we're, you're not having angels come to you, okay, and appearing to you, but it's the same concept. You know, when it says man doesn't live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, that comes from a passage that's quoted in Matthew chapter 4 when Jesus got an, a, a, a word from the Spirit of God. All right? So if the word of God is communicated to you and you know it's the word of God, you're to act on it. Well, today we've got the word. We've got the written word. We've got, as we've been studying in 2 Timothy, the word of God that is, is complete for every good work. And I think when we look at Mary, you see a woman who, when she recognized it was God's word, she believed it and she acted on it. And so you look at her right away and you're just overwhelmed by her characteristics. So look at um, when she wraps up in verse 34, how can this be? Verse 35, the angel said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. I mean, make it very clear that Mary was impregnated by the Holy Spirit from God the Father. And all the efforts and all the the, the uh, trials to try to make the word virgin not be one that had 
sexual relationship, but just like a young woman, is absolutely false. Mary was unique in all of history, and that she had to bear the child of, of God. And so, behold, verse 36, even your relative Elizabeth has conceived the son in her old age, and she who was called barren is now in her sixth month, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, behold, the bond, sa- bond slave of the Lord, may it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. You see where she says, and behold, the bond slave of the Lord, she's referring to herself. I'll do whatever God wants. Now, I'm sure many people would love to say, if I, women would say, if I was in that position, I would do what God wanted. But you know, the thing is, learn from her. This, this wasn't, I don't think, an isolated incident as we'll go on and see. Mary's life is like, I know God's word, and when it comes up and it's something I need to do, I will act on it. And I think this is what makes a great quality of a godly mother. She, she is someone who incorporates the word of God and it's her children see it, male and female, and then they will learn how important it is to do as well. So real simple point as we start off. Mary was somebody who believed God's word. Now fill in the blank. She had great character, character. And what we're gonna look at is probably one of the greatest speeches in all of scripture as we pick up after she goes to her visit with her cousin Elizabeth. So verse 39, it says, Now at this time Mary arose and went in a hurry to the whole country to a city of Judah and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. Verse 41, When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Another great testimony as to <laughs> how a child in the womb is a child. And we all know that, that that helps validate another reason why we should not advocate abortion in any way. Verse 42, and she cried out with a loud voice and said, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And how has it happened to me that the mother of my Lord would come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped in in my womb for joy. I I just think that's incredible. And the question is, is, did John the Baptist and Jesus hang out as little kids? There's the thought is that they didn't, that because of the birth of Jesus, him running off to Egypt when Mary and Joseph have to take him to flee there for protection, and just where, um, as John the Baptist gets trained in the, in the wilderness, is that they're separated. And so maybe not until Jesus gets baptized by John does John finally meet his cousin. So... Um, just as a side note there. Verse 45, and blessed is she who believed that there would be fulfillment of what had been spoken to her by the Lord. So Elizabeth recognizes in Mary, there's a woman, as we already noted, she believed God's word. And it's a characteristic, it's a trait of hers. But now there's this speech, and you should know it. it, it some of your Bibles might even have the heading, the Magnificent, it, uh, Magnificat. It's a, it's, an, it's a name given to this incredible speech that Mary gives. And I just want to pick up in verse 46. And Mary said, my soul exalts the Lord and my spirit is rejoiced in God, my savior, for he has the regard for the humble state of his bond slave. For behold, from this time on, generations will count me blessed for the mighty one has done great things for me and his whole and holy is his name. Verse 50. And his mercy is upon generation after generation toward those who fear him. He has done mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in the thoughts of their heart. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, and he has exalted those who are humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent away the rich empty-handed. He has given help to Israel, his servant, in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his descendants forever. And Mary stayed with her about three months and then returned to her home. 
Okay, and perhaps it's around this time. Anyway, she comes back, she's showing, and then Joseph goes, whoa, maybe I, uh, during this betrothal, which we're actually married, I should get, put you away for divorce. But then, as you know, in Matthew 21, the angel comes and says to him, don't do that. Mary, it's believed, is about 14 to 16 years old at this time. She, the, the reason we know that is because of the age and how the, with the Gospels and everything that progresses on. What, what you need to grasp, and the reason I say Mary has had great character, we're going to pull like just five traits from this, things that I just think five out of just many that you could pull. Number one is that she has an incredible knowledge of the Old Testament. This girl is 14 to 15 years, 15 years old, very young, and when you take verses 46 through 55 and you start going to Old Testament passages, it's like this woman was a walking, walking um, theological uh, book. I mean, she, Mary just doesn't throw out praise that are random. Um, let me find my notes. Um, like all the different quotes. Okay, just, just note this. Verse 46 is from 1 Samuel 2.1. Verse 48 is from 1 Samuel 1.11. Verse 48 can also be seen in Genesis 30, verse 13. Verse 49 can be seen in Deuteronomy 10.21. Verse 49 can be seen in Psalm 111, verse 9. Psalm 50 can be seen verbatim in Psalm 103, verse 17. It's a psalm that ties in one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. There's like 12 other passages that are pulled into these verses. It's just, it's just overwhelming how well Mary knew her Bible. And, and so what you say is, wow, this is a girl who just didn't float around and flit and play around. She was regularly reading her Bible. And I can tell you what, this is the kind of woman that ends up being a godly mother. And, and this is like God could say, this is a woman I really want to have influencing Jesus. And so young girls, old girls, young men would hopefully be blessed by somebody that knows their Bible. And so thinking you know, the fact that they, they didn't have Bibles like we have today, Mary was somebody that must have paid attention and, and knew her theology really well. So praise God for Mary. Second attribute is that she had confidence in God's, God's prophecy. Look at, look at verse 46. Mary said, my soul exalts the Lord. I mean, she's been given this prophecy, and then in verse 47, my spirit is rejoiced in God my Savior. There's a sense where she realizes, wow, this is, become, this is, like the, 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 this is prophecy, and I realize it's going to come to be fulfilled, and there's a sense where she believes it. And I tell people all the time, um, you know, about they say about 20, 25% of the Bible is written with prophecy, still today. And so I think a, a godly woman, a godly mother is going to constantly live in the sense of, of dealing with prophecy. You say, well, I'm not dealing with the birth of Jesus. No, but turn to Revelation chapter 1. This one, just real quick. Um, I always like to read this because I like to keep it before me that the book of Revelation, which is often thought, oh, it's such a cryptic book. I don't know how to discern. God must have expected people today to be able to figure it out because he tells us right from verse 3 of chapter 1, Revelation chapter 1, blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy and heed the things which are written in it, for the time is near. 
you're blessed when you read the book of Revelation, when it changes your life and incorporates the way you parent and your mother and you do things that are living in light of the end of, of time. And so I, I look at Mary, and she, she believed in prophecy. She was excited about the fulfillment of it and gives us a great model for being excited about prophecy. So turn back to Luke and look at the third point. The third point is that she has humility about herself before God, and that comes from verse 47 when she says, my spirit is rejoiced in God, my what? My savior. She recognized that she needed a savior. This is how we get the theology. She wasn't um, perpetually, uh, or not necessarily perpetually virgin, but that she was without sin. She recognizes she's a sinner and she needs a savior. And, and there's no thought here like, um, I deserve this. You know, we're, we're watching a generation of women from TV, cable, where we're, it's all about the glim and the glamour and everything they get is because they deserve it. Mary recognizes, you know, I need a savior. I can't believe, even with all of her attributes and her godliness, she doesn't look and say, I, of course, if anybody was picked, it should have been me. I mean, Mary doesn't do that. She needs a savior. And, and you know, she looks, says in verse 48, for he has regard for the humble state of his bond slave. For behold, from this time on, all generations will count me blessed. Now, we'll come back to this next point with the, with the idea of everyone recognizing her as being blessed. But, you know, she's humble. And I can't think of a greater attribute to be, you know, in a mother. Because, you know, we saw that video. And wasn't, that video was really, I thought, touching. Because being a mom, you're really a servant. And you sacrifice a lot, right? And th that's humility in action. And Mary was somebody that was humble. And, I, and she would have to, she would be a great servant for Jesus. And exactly that's what she was. And so humility is one of the key attributes of a godly person. It starts right from salvation and goes right out through our lives. There's two passages I, I'll just have you jot down. It's Luke 16 and, um, yeah, no, excuse me, Luke 18, verse 9, when the two men come up to the temple... One's a, one is like very proud, he's a Pharisee, and the other man is a very humble man. Jesus says the humble man is the one that's saved. It's one of the greatest passages that go into the detail that true salvation comes to those who are humble. They need God. They need God. They're not exalting their righteousness on their own. And then Philippians chapter 2 talks about the fact that, if there's, that, that we need to follow the example of Christ and we walk in the steps of humility. And so when I look at Mary, and you see right from the start, she recognizes that she's humble. Nothing wrong with her saying that she's humble. Moses did it from the Old Testament. Mary is somebody that exudes a quality that you want in a godly mother. She has humility. But look at the next point, her recognition of her significant place in history. And I don't know how to put this as a trait, but it's more in the sense of, of she, she's very wise. When she says, you know, for verse 48, the second half, behold, from this time on, all generations will count me blessed. It, it, she's very accurate. She's not trying to promote herself and not trying to get a bunch of shrines get, given out to herself, but she's recognizing that she has come down through the annals of history and she has been the chosen one. And she's recognizing that she, she has gotten the incredible blessing of giving birth to the Messiah. 
turn back in your Bibles. There's a passage you should all remember, uh, Daniel chapter 11, um, to, to show Mary's understanding of history and her recognition of her place. And it, it comes out of a very interesting passage. It comes from a passage describing, of all people, the Antichrist. Um, Daniel chapter 11, verse 37. There, there's some people that think the Antichrist is going to be a homosexual. And, and I don't think that's true. I, uh, he could be, for, not, but not based upon this passage. In Daniel chapter 11, verse 37, Daniel is giving a teaching regarding the Antichrist. And, and he gives this description. He will show no regard for the gods of his fathers or for the desire of women, nor will he show regard for any other god, for he will magnify himself above all. That's what we believe the Antichrist is going to do. That expression, though, that I wanted you to see, nor will he, um, no, he will show no regard for the gods of his fathers or the desire of women, that's a title, the desire of women. This was for the Jewish women that was their passion to be the mother of the Messiah because they had gotten, they had gotten um, the passages from Isaiah, the book of Isaiah, um, child will be born, government's on his shoulders, you know, all the stuff going all the way back to Genesis 3 that someone's going to crush Satan. And, and so it became, and it, from what I've gathered, a technical expression, the desire of women, the desire of women. And so the Antichrist is going to have no regard for the one that was the desire of women, to the, the, the Messiah. So just as a side note, that's how I think verse 37 of Daniel 11, 37 should be taken in the sense the desire of women speaks towards the Messiah. Mary, what I'm trying to get, if we go back there, to go back to Luke chapter 1, is a woman that understands it. She grasped the fact that, um, she grasped the idea that she is significant in her place of history, okay? So fifth, real quick, the knowledge of God um, she has an understanding of how God works in history. And she recognizes, as she's quoting Psalm 103, verse 7, that, that he, verse, look at verse 53, he's filled the hungry with good things. He sent away the rich and empty-handed. He has given help to Israel, his servant. He, she recognizes throughout history, God has helped humble people and, and that he's always been faithful to Israel. And I put that on there. And, and I think it's so important that we uh, in our church understand today that when she says this about Israel, she, she comes to the realization, um, she doesn't say, oh, and Jesus is going to be born and he's going to create this thing called a church and the church is going to replace Israel and Israel has no future. Now, you may not think that's so significant, but I think it's really significant because we're, we're a church today that believes Israel has a future and that is like becoming smaller and smaller and smaller within the evangelical world. I mean, I, I talk to people all the time and I'll ask them, does your church think that Israel is your future? And it's like, no. So is, Mary got it. Mary had her theology down. Mary was a godly woman. And, and being a godly woman doesn't mean you're barefoot in the pregnant, in the kitchen, and you're stupid and you don't know anything about Scripture. Mary knew her theology. And Mary was a humble woman. Mary had character. Now, quickly, she walked by faith. As, as we go to the third point, when you look at the fact that she had faith, there isn't that so much that we can pick up explicitly with Mary. But if you go to chapter 2, after Jesus is born, pick up in verse 19. 
the, the angels come, they're all around her. Verse 19, Mary treasured, all the angels have made great statements, and Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. That word be treasured is going to be used one more time, and it shows she highly valued things. She, she's, she's not dismissing it. Um, verse 21, and when eight days had passed before his circumcision, his name was then called Jesus, the, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the tomb. And when the days for their purification, according to the law of Moses, were completed, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. Who is? Mary and the father, Joseph. What I want, want, what I want you to understand by implication is, we don't have a passage that says, oh great, Mary wonderfully walked by faith. But what you do see is that Mary regularly was doing all the things that a godly mother needed to do. She was following the law. She didn't just dismiss it. You jump over to verse 41, Jesus is now about 12, 13 years old. This is, we think, when he had um, the passage into being a man, his bar mitzvah. Um, the reason why, because he acts independent of his parents. So verse 41, now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he became 12, they went up there according to the custom of the feast. And as they were returning, after spending the full number of days, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. But his parents were unaware of it but supposed them to be in the caravan and went on a day's journey and they began looking for him among their relatives and acquaintance. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem for him. And then after three days, they found him in the temple. This is some search. This is like four days. Three, one day they recognized, hey, he's not with us. And then three days back or three days of searching. So who's the one that confronts Jesus? It's not the father. Mary's the one who finds him. And you pick up. And, and, and so verse 47 and all who heard him were amazed and understanding his answers. And when they saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us this way? And behold, your father and I have been anxiously looking for you. So, side note, the father is still alive. We believe Joseph dies shortly afterwards. And Jesus has to be the main provider in the family. Why? Because when Jesus dies on the cross, he gives Mary to John if Joseph was still alive, he would have expected his father to take care of him. That's why it's thought that Joseph dies shortly thereafter. So, verse 50, but they didn't understand, verse 49, he said to them, why is it you were looking for me? Do you not know that I would had to be in my father's house? Okay, and so, verse 51, and he went down with them and came to, to Nazareth, and he continued in subjection to them, and his mother treasured all these things in her heart. Well, Mary was somebody that we believe was walking by faith. Now, she wasn't perfect. We're going to see that. But it, from what we can tell is that Mary stayed with following God, walking by faith, what you want a godly woman to do. Last point, real quick, fill in the blank, but she still needed a Savior. Fill in the blank, a Savior. And, and Mary, we say, wasn't perfect. And you just jot this down. Well, no, turn there. Mark chapter 3. Mark chapter 3 is one of the most interesting passages in all of scripture. It shows that Mary, Mary was a, in many ways godly, did many things right. But one of the saddest times in her life was Jesus is now full board in his ministry. He is somebody that is moving forward with his ministry. And all of a sudden, um, in the gospel of Mark, um, where is it? My notes. What happens is, is that Jesus... Jesus is, Jesus is, um, Jesus is being challenged. 
and the people are wondering, like, is he crazy or not? And his parent, his mother thinks he's crazy. Look at verse 21. When his own, I'll pick up in verse 20. And he came home, and the crowd gathered him to such an extent that he couldn't even eat a meal. People are going crazy over Jesus. Verse 21, when his own people heard of this, they went out to take custody of him, for they were saying he had lost his senses. Now, we know, as we jump down, his mother is in this. They think he's crazy. And it's really a fascinating, interesting twist. Um, Mary, who earlier on at the wedding of Cana was like, Jesus, do something, because I, I, you know, I believe you're the Messiah, but something has quickly changed, and she's thinking he's gone a little bit too far, and he's lost his senses. And so, verse 31 of the same chapter, then his mother and his brothers arrived, and standing outside, they sent word to him and called him, and a crowd was sitting around, and they said, behold, your mother and your brothers are outside looking for you, answering them, and he said, who are my mother and my brothers? Looking up around, and those who were sitting around him said, behold, he said, behold, my mother and my brothers. But whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. And this is where there's a significant change in Jesus' relationship with his own mother, his own family, because he's like, now I am for the world. And my mother no longer has the same jurisdiction, same authority over me. Well, with all of that, what, what I want you to do is just fill us in the blank. She knew it in the beginning because we saw in Luke chapter 1 that she needed a Savior. She demonstrated it by trying to stop Jesus. Jesus, I need to stop you. I'm, you know, and this, this wasn't good. This was sin. This, you know, if she would have stopped Jesus, wouldn't that have been a sin? And then we, she saw it graphically at the death of Jesus Christ. Mary is there when Jesus dies, and she pulls it all together, and she recognizes what he's done. And how do we know that? Turn finally, last passage, Acts chapter 1. This is the last time Mary is mentioned explicitly in the Bible, in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 1. And Jesus has resurrected. They're waiting for the Holy Spirit. And they're in the upper room. So pick up in Acts chapter 1, verse 12. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet. Jesus has ascended into heaven, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey. When they had entered the city, they went to the upper room, and they were saying, that is, they were staying, that is, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James. They were all with one mind, continually devoting them to prayer. So they're all committed to Jesus. And guess who's there? Along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. And one of the references to Jesus having brothers. Some of you might say, well, wait a second. I thought Jesus, Mary was a perpetual virgin, never had other children. Where did that theology come from? Well, it came just because people wanted to have that theology. And every passage that references a brother or a sister to Jesus, those who want that bad theology have changed it to his cousin or to his relative when the words explicitly means brother or sister so just a side note but my point is is this is where we think know that mary became a believer and she knew as she said from the beginning i need a savior and when she saw to the cross what jesus did she believed and we didn't have time to go into that passage in luke chapter 2 where it said the prophecy said it would be like a um, a sharp pierce in her side when she saw this, and this, that was the realization, okay? So look at, quickly, four points. She believed God's word. She had great character. She walked by faith. She needed a savior. 
She knew it in the beginning. She demonstrated by trying to stop Jesus, though. She wasn't perfect, and she graphically saw it in the death of Jesus. She actually watched him die, which had to be horrific. There are no words in the Bible on how Mary was as a good mom, or, uh, you know, we could say as a bad mom, in a sense, but we do see her character, and, and we can infer this was a godly woman, and today the key for all women is to be a godly woman, and woman, and if all children would follow suit, then we would all be, we would all be in good shape. My hope, though, is that everybody here believes in Mary's son, right? Amen? Amen that he died and paid the penalty for sin, and if you would believe in him, you could have eternal life. I hope that today mothers could say, you know what, I look at my life, and I'm doing the best I can as I believe God's word. I'm doing the best I can as I try to have godly character, and I'm trying to do the best as I raise my children. I walk by faith. But I know the key element for all women is, do you believe? Because when you do, it makes your parenting all the difference. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the example of Mary in the scriptures. I hope, Father, that as we think about her life, and there's so many passages in which she is referenced, that somebody here, that all the women would look and say, you know what, I want to follow in her model. Whether I'm young or whether I'm old, I want to be faithful like Mary. And I pray, God, that children would say, you know what, I want to have the faith that she wanted to have her, her, the character that her son had. And all can have that when they believe in him. We thank you for Jesus because he's the one that makes mom special today. Instead of someone being selfish, self-oriented, godly women now can serve their families in humility. Godly women can serve their families putting the word of God into practice. And we thank you, God, at this church that there are so many women that have followed suit and truly, we do call them blessed, and we are so thankful that they're in our lives. May they be encouraged and know that they are loved today. And I pray, God, that if there's any here today that don't know you, what a great Mother's Day gift they, that would be if a mother could turn, or maybe her children could turn, and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen.